0: Songs. Thanks for the prayer uh, for the word, Jesse. Grab a Bible and uh, turn to Revelation 21, verse 1. If you're using a Pew Bible, you can find that on page 1041. Uh, Much of the passage you've already heard read during our service, but it's well worth hearing these words again. So let's listen to God's Word from verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. A new heaven and a new earth. Some of you are saying, finally. Right? You've been waiting the whole series for this passage. And I don't blame you. It's a wonderful prophecy, one we... We all need to hear. I mean at a distance the the war in Ukraine, the the earthquakes this week in Turkey and Syria, these tragedies uh, sadden us deeply. Especially when you start reading the stories and watching the footage and trying to do what you can to put yourself in their shoes. Closer to home, we face our own sorrows with lung cancer, and leukemia, and lymphoma. Yesterday morning, after forty years of marriage, Anne lost Jean, and we all lost Jean. Others are battling relational difficulties at home that make nights long. And mornings sad and weeks seem like forever. For others, it's depression. You wish it would end. You're doing what you can, but there's still no reprieve. Or maybe the path of obedience has led to painful separation or suffering for you or for someone else you know. We all need to hear this passage. Andrew Peterson has a song called Come Back Soon. It's about growing up and beginning to feel the the brokenness of the world. One of the stanzas expresses it this way. He says, we wake in the night in the womb of the world, and we, we beat our fists on the door. We cannot breathe in this sea that swirls. So we groan in this great darkness. Are we alone in this great darkness? If nature is red in tooth and in claw, then it seems to me that she's an outlaw. Because every death is a question mark at the end of the book of a beating heart, and the answer is scrawled in the silent dark on the dome of the sky in a billion stars. But we cannot read these angel tongues. And we cannot stare at the burning sun and we cannot sing with these broken lungs. And so we kick in the womb and we beg to be born deliverance. Deliverance, O Lord. And that's our cry in this present evil age, deliverance. This vision is our final deliverance. The whole creation groans together in the pains of childbirth, Paul says. But in this prophecy right here, God reveals that He's making all things new. And that includes a new creation. Verse 1 I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That comes from Isaiah 65 17. Israel had returned from exile. They are back in the land. They're, They're back in Jerusalem. But things still aren't right. Sin remained. Death lingered. Enemies threatened. And so they start wondering, like, why bother? Why persevere? And God's word comes to them. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Well, John's prophecy Comes to a church facing the same kind of world, damaged by sin, haunted with death, threatened by enemies. But unlike Isaiah, John is writing on this side of Jesus' resurrection. He doesn't just repeat Isaiah's words, he, he witnesses their goal. God shows him the new world. Now some debate whether that new world comes by a purifying renewal or or a total replacement. Acts 3.21 can speak of God restoring all things. 2 Peter 3.10 speaks of the heavenly bodies burning up. Hebrews 12.27 speaks of God removing only those things which are shakable. Revelation 20.11 has earth and sky fleeing away. But when you consider these texts side by side and and you account for their genre and their context and the imagery they're using, it seems best to say that the the purification and the renewal is so comprehensive that it's truly a new world. Even if there's continuity with the old, like with our bodies being raised. Or with our good works enduring. But the new creation is also far better It's not just unstained by sin. There's not even potential for evil to rise again. Notice how he adds, and the sea was no more. Now, there are multiple seas in Revelation. You've got the bodies of water on the earth. You've got the glassy sea that's before God's throne. But then there's also the sea of chapter 13, verse 1, where the beast rises from the sea and that's the sea, I think, that's in view here. The, the sea symbolizes that realm of, of God's enemies in the new creation. There will be no enemies lurking in the deep. No dragon-like serpent that sneaks through the new garden and utters lies. No, no chaotic darkness that will ever rise again. The sea is no more. And there's also a new city we see. New Jerusalem John calls it and she's she's holy and she's heavenly and she is happy. She's holy in that she's free of all moral defilement. Babylon, the other city in Revelation, is full of abominations. New Jerusalem has been holy set apart for the Lord and she is pure and she is spotless. She's also heavenly. She's heavenly in that we we see her coming down out of heaven from God. Now, Galatians 4 talks about this, right? He says that you all, right now, are members of the Jerusalem that is above. But here we see Jerusalem finally coming down. The end is not us flying away into some mystical existence floating on clouds. God brings heaven down to earth... And part of that includes His people descending to inherit the earth in new glorified bodies. Now up to this point in Revelation, right, we, who, who has controlled the earth? It's all the earth dwellers, all the ones that are killing the Christians, snuffing out the church. You see, they think that they are going to conquer the world by murdering the church and suppressing the truth. But, but here we see who the true conquerors are. It's those who gave their lives for Jesus. They descend from heaven, and they get the earth. New Jerusalem is also happy. It says she's she's prepared as a bride who's adorned for her husband. Notice the passive, being prepared. God himself has made her beautiful. And... We're not just talking about a place anymore. We're talking about a people. A people that is compared to a bride. The whole story of Scripture has waited for this moment. Christ, Ephesians tells us, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. And here we see her. She is adorned for her husband. And when Isaiah describes this moment, he includes New Jerusalem's happiness. I read from Isaiah 65, 17, but in 65, 18, he says, Behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. And notice the language. It's not just that they're feeling glad. They themselves, their very nature is gladness. Isaiah 65, 18. So she is holy, and she is heavenly, and she is happy with her husband. Also notice the new covenant. Not a newer covenant that differs from the one that's ratified by Jesus at the cross. I I mean, the same new covenant in Jesus' blood. The end of that covenant says this in Jeremiah 31, 33. I will be their God, and they shall be my people Why? Because I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their lawless deeds no more. In the new creation, we will experience the fullness of that covenant. Look at it in verse 3. A loud voice from the throne explains, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. That's the same kind of talk. Jeremiah 31. This language spans the whole of Scripture, reaching as, as far back as God's covenant with Abraham. Such language doesn't belong to everyone. Not everyone has this special relationship with God. It's only those in Christ. It's the language of, of mutual belongingness. It's, it's, if you go back to the marriage analogy of verse 2, it's, it's like their I do to God and God's I do to them. But unlike our human marriages, nothing will separate God from His people. Far better, it says that He dwells with them. And the word behind, He will dwell with them, recalls this imagery from the Exodus where God tabernacled with Israel in the most holy place. He manifested His glory in the tabernacle. And then later, He manifested that glory in the temple. But here, that dwelling is not limited to a temple inside the city. It covers the whole city. All of the people. Remember, the city is also the people. All the people become His dwelling place. And please don't miss this. The work of redemption in Jesus is so comprehensive that the holy God makes you His glory tent. The saving work of Jesus' blood is so thorough, so cleansing, that God chooses to dwell with you, to be close with you as a husband would a bride. Do you believe that? I mean for yourself, that the work of Jesus is that thorough. Do you believe that for one another? We know it in part now through the Spirit's presence in our lives. He has taken up residence. Our bodies are a holy temple, Corinthians tells us. But one day, we will all experience this face-to-face with the Lord. New creation, new city, new covenant, and also new comforts. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Again, we're we're reminded here of some promises from, from Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25 is another place where he's describing that future new Jerusalem. It's up atop Mount Zion. It includes Jerusalem and God's dwelling. It's God's kingdom. And God has raised Mount Zion above all his other enemies. And and he, he has established his throne there. And so he's dwelling in glory among his elders. And what's amazing is that there are others with Him. He he alone is glorious, but, but He's sharing this mountain with the redeemed, the ones that He purchased through the suffering servant. And for these people on that mountain, God spreads a special feast for them. And part of that After saying He spreads the feast for them, He says, "...and on this mountain I will swallow up the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations." So you get this picture of all the nations having a veil because they keep going to the funerals. The veil that is spread over all nations. "...God will swallow up death forever..." And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. We can't hardly imagine this. We're just so used to death being here. We structure our lives around it. Entire careers exist to rescue people from death or bury them in death. We have doctors and medicine and diets to delay death. Some use makeup to cover aging toward death. There's life insurance and border control and labels to read and seatbelts to wear. Why? Because the grave is never satisfied. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty. Death always wants more. But there's coming a day when the curse of death will be altogether removed. Death will be no more. Our assurance of that now is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Death was not able to hold Him in the grave. If you belong to Christ, death doesn't get the final word. Christ does. Death will be swallowed up in victory for you. 1 Corinthians 15. And with that, there will come so many comforts. So many comforts. The, the Lord God, it says, will, will wipe away tears from all faces. He could have just said, I'm going to take your sorrow away. But he doesn't. He chooses imagery that makes it far more personal. The Lord wipes the tears of each individual face. The same one who rules with absolute power, he he draws near like a parent to to wipe the tears from the face of each child. What have you cried about this week? What afflictions or fears or pains have, have left you weeping in the night? What losses have filled you with sorrow? What aches have throbbed in your throat because you didn't want others to see the pain? Well, God sees. He knows. Psalm 56.8 says that He hides your tears in His bottle. But here, He wipes them all away. Mourning, crying, and pain will be over and gone forever. You will be like Samwise Gamgee... after the ring was destroyed... and he's in Ithilien... and he wakes up... and he's surprised to be alive and he's surprised to see gandalf and he says is everything sad going to come untrue what's happened to the world a great shadow has departed gandalf says and then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land and sam burst into tears and then as a sweet rain with pa- will pass down a wind of spring, and the sun will shine out the clearer. His tears ceased, and his laughter welled up. And laughing, he sprang from his bed. How do I feel, he says? Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel, and he waves his arm around in the air. I feel like spring after winter, and sun on the leaves, and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I've ever heard. It'll be like that, beloved. Beloved. And so much more. Now, given the way things are, it's sometimes hard to believe these things will come. Right? We're, we, we get disappointed so often by other people and the situations in life that sometimes we even have calluses to protect ourselves from further disappointment, and that affects the way we hear God's word too. Where's our assurance? Verses 5 to 6 help. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. Who's I? He's the same I that said, let there be light, and there was light. In fact, when Isaiah quotes that God is making a new heaven and a new earth, it's the same creation language that's mentioned in Genesis 1. So do you hear, this is the God who's making all things new, the Creator God, That same God who creates new life by a word. The same God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. He has spoken here and His word will not fail. He has the creative power to make it happen. Uh, He also tells John, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. God's not wishy-washy on things. You may have been lied to by children, you may have been lied to by a spouse, parents, a friend, pastors, employees, governments, but God never lies. He speaks truth because He is truth. You can take His word to the bank. Here is a word that we can trust in every situation and find great comfort to press on. We also know they will happen because God controls history. Verse 6. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, other places in Revelation, you'll see, so you'll see Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and also the first and the last. And these are variations of a title that is popular to Isaiah. I'll give you a few to look up when you get home. Isaiah 41, verse 4. Isaiah 41, verse 4. Isaiah 44, verse 6. And Isaiah 48, verse 12. First and last. And God uses this title to distinguish Himself from the nations and their idols. The nations and their idols lack any power to determine the future, but God, who is the first and the last. The beginning and the end. Not only... Does He know the future before it takes place? He creates the future by His sovereign Word. So because this Word exists in your Bibles, because God has spoken it, it will happen. Because it's spoken by the one who knows the end from the beginning. And that's been His pattern throughout history Since creation, not a single word of His has failed. So God's creative power, God's trustworthy word, God's control of history all reassures us that the new heaven and the new earth will happen. Sometimes we say things like when we're maybe making a deal with somebody, consider it done. Right? It's a done deal. It's our way of Kind of reassuring each other that you can count on it, right? How much more certain it is when God says it is done? He has already started the process, and we know that because He raised His Son Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of that new creation. Jesus is crucified and risen over sin, death, and the devil. He's unstoppable in his judgments and salvation. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about God already in the process of putting his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so where does that leave you? Where does that leave you this morning? If these things are so guaranteed, where does that leave you? At the end of verse six and into verse eight, the Lord sets before us some rich rewards for those who conquer, uh, for those who conquer, for those who endure, but also severe judgment for those who reject Jesus. He mentions the severe judgment in verse eight. But as for the cowardly, now don't think only they're afraid to stand firm for Jesus before others. That might be included. I mean, that's included here. Being afraid to stand firm for Jesus before others. But we should also think of the cowardly in terms of being afraid to admit your weakness and need of Jesus before others. That's also cowardly. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable... As for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, we discussed that imagery last week. The lake of fire symbolizes irreversible ruin and ongoing punishment. These things will have no place in the new Jerusalem. Before that, though, he mentions rewards for those who endure, which he calls the thirsty in verse 6 and the conquerors in verse 7. Now, we shouldn't think of these as two different kinds of people. They're the same people described two different ways. What makes the conquerors strong isn't something in themselves, but that they keep relying on God for drink, for life, for sustenance. To be thirsty means you're desperate for God and you come to Him for life. He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, we're going to discuss this water of life more when we get to chapter 22, verse 1, but it's enough to say here that it flows from God's throne, from God's presence, and its it's life is of such a quality that it turns entire wastelands into a new Eden-like paradise. The idea of drinking without payment comes from Isaiah 55, verse 1. Israel has nothing to buy salvation. But God comes and He pays the price. And He says, you come and drink. That price, of course, is the price of His Son. For those who come to the Lord as their drink, their, their sustenance, their life, God will satisfy them totally with His presence the one who conquers, that's the one who, who is staying faithful to, G- to Jesus until the end. They, they don't give in to the beast's kingdom. The Lord says, he will have this heritage. What heritage? The new creation heritage of verses 1 to 6. He will, he will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, earlier the covenant union was compared to a marriage... Here it's compared to adoption. And that's huge because everywhere else in Revelation up to this point, the language of God's fatherhood has been applied, uh, applied to Jesus' relationship to God. And yet now it's being applied to us. He's re- God is relating to us as sons. In union with Jesus, we become children of God, part of the family, and joint heirs with Christ, whom we've seen throughout Revelation, is reigning on the throne. So again, where does that leave you? What, what will you do with this glorious vision of the new heaven and the new earth? I think the first thing you should do is make sure that your confidence is in the Lamb. Make sure that your confidence is in the Lamb. Revelation paints the world here again in two groups, the conquerors and the cowardly. Those who are clinging to Jesus in their thirst and those who are trying to satisfy and quench their thirst by running over to idols of various sorts. Make sure you're with Jesus Where else are you going to go for this kind of lasting deliverance? I mean, there's nobody else who will change the world like this. There are people who pretend like they're going to change the world like this. There are governments that are going to make you promises for the utopia. But no mere man or government has the power to make the world right. That belongs to Jesus alone. There's also no other story that that ends like the Bible's story. No other worldview measures up. A worldview will often answer life's biggest questions, and two of those questions are, why are things so sad in the world, and what's going to make them right? Everybody must account for evil somehow, and what will be done about it. And the Christian story gives the most coherent and comprehensive answer. Christianity recognizes that sad things in the world do exist. It explains why those sad things exist because of sin and our rebellion against the Lord. But it also gives us a real hope hope that's not grounded in human ability or or determined by human merit. It's a hope that comes from outside of us that's grounded in a gracious and loving and just creator. God makes all things right in his son Jesus Christ and his goal is a world rid of all evil and full of joy in his presence. You set that vision against any other worldview and its goals for the world and how it accounts for things in the world and it becomes clear that God's work in Jesus is the only way. No other worldview is this true to our present experience, this comprehensive in its outlook, this coherent in its storyline, this good for humanity, and this forever in its duration. And so put your confidence in Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings the new creation. I mean, what have you been learning and seeing in Matthew? He's the one who heals the sick and casts out demons and opens the eyes of the blind and makes the lame leap like the deer and he raises the dead. Why? Because he's the one bringing the new creation, bringing the new order. And even better in Matthew, eventually we're going to get there, He gives his life to take a whole bunch of others with him into the new creation. So Jesus brings the new creation reality. So trust in him and keep looking to him. And if you come back to me and say, well, I'm a little like those in verse 8, like that liar and that immoral person, Jesus can change that too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says that Jesus is in the business of making people new creations. So that old stuff passes away. Second, encourage one another with this vision. Encourage one another. Jesus gave this prophecy to John who was supposed to give it to the churches, and those churches were going through some super crazy stuff. I mean, if I just kind of walk through where we've been, we've seen suffering and imprisonment, and false teaching and slander, and weariness and death, and economic uncertainty, and rumors of war, and political upheaval, and poverty and famine. That's super crazy times. And super sad things. John calls it the tribulation and we're still walking through the same tribulation. There are many sad things that we are facing. I mentioned some earlier at the start of the sermon. But the nearest to us is our recent loss of gene. And we'll need the comfort of this vision. So give her the comfort of this vision. And we will all need the comfort of this vision. So remind each other about it. Sing to one another about it. Read it to each other. I mean, that's why God said, write this down so that you could read it. Some of you aren't reading your Bible. God wrote comforts for you here. You won't make it without them. Get in the Word and read what He has written to you. Memorize these words. Meditate on the promises. There's this great scene in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian and hopeful are in the dungeon of Doubting Castle. I think we've all been there, locked in the darkness of our our doubts. And suddenly it dawns on Christian... That he has a key. He says, What a fool I have been to lie like this in a stinking dungeon when I could have just as well walked free. In my chest pocket, I have a key called Promise that will, I am thoroughly persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. And Hopeful says, Well, this is good news. Take it out and try it. Then Christian took the key from his chest and began to try the lock of the dungeon door. And he turned the key and the bolt unlocked and the door flew open with ease so that Christian and hopeful immediately came out. Let me encourage you to hide this vision in your chest pocket. Speak it to each other when you're in Doubting Castle. And third, endure the path of obedience with hope. Endure the path of obedience with hope. As we've seen before, Rev- Revelation exists for a suffering church. It's written to help the church endure whatever suffering they face in following Jesus. God doesn't leave us guessing here. In our suffering, He shows us the end before it comes. Right? It's when you're walking through the suffering, if there's no end to this, that's when despair starts. But if you have the end, if you know this is where God is taking us, oh, we can make it. That's why He's shown it. This is God's way of saying, hang on, it's coming. I'm bringing this. I will satisfy you forever. I have two examples. One is from a book I just finished his excellence it's called Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nayeri. I hope I'm saying his name right. Daniel had to, to flee Iran with his mother and sister, and they settle as refugees in Oklahoma. And this book is kind of like a patchwork story that he tells from the, ban- the vantage point of his middle school years in Oklahoma after he, he comes to America. Sometimes it's hilarious, like the time when his friend friend in Oklahoma complains that his Iranian food looks like poop, and then his friend has him over to his house, and then the dad serves Sloppy Joe's. Apparently, our poop is more acceptable. But other times, as he's telling the story, it's heartrending, and many of the heartrending moments involve the hardships that his mother faces in the path of obedience to Jesus. Her husband physically abused her, the authorities in Iran interrogated her, and she had to face extreme poverty. And Daniel then writes this about his mom, who's a follower of Jesus. He says, the legend of my mom is that she can't be stopped. Not when you hit her. Not when a whole country full of goons puts her in a cage. Not even if you make her poor, her poor And try to kill her slowly in the little by little poison of sadness. And the legend is true, I think, because she has fixed her eyes on something beyond the rivers of blood to a beautiful place on the other side. Beloved, Revelation has given us that beautiful place on the other side. So fix your eyes on it. In suffering to help you endure. And another example comes in our brother Brian. Brian Tom. Brian is battling stage four lung cancer, and he hasn't been able to speak for a while or lift his voice in song like he wants to. But a few Sundays ago I looked over, I think it was the last Sunday he's he's been able to come. I looked across the way during one of our hymns and I watched him mouth the words with the strength that he had. With every breath I long to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before His throne. How is Brian? We're we're watching the Lord's grace play out here. How is Brian holding on? It's because this vision has taken hold of him. God has revealed the final vision of you, the final vision of you standing before His throne in the new Jerusalem. So let it help you persevere to the end. Beloved, God says, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have not kept us guessing. You have revealed all we need to persevere. And we thank you for this vision of the new creation and the new Jerusalem. Fix our eyes upon it. We long for that day when you will wipe away all of our tears. Until then, keep us drawing near to one another, speaking the truth of the gladness that is to come. And we know that that same presence of God that will one day make the earth and us beautiful is even now present by the Holy Spirit in us. So by your presence, bring your comforts even now until they come in full. Christ we pray, amen.